My name is Pierre. Um, I've got the privilege this morning to share the word with you guys. And I'm excited for what God is doing, not only here, but around the world. Isn't that just amazing this morning? Just this sense of his, I, I love the words of that song. His earth, the earth is filled with his glory. And then we get to hear about what he's doing all around the world. Last week we had Pastor Wolf here from Every Nation London, just sharing some of their stories. It gives me a huge amount of, of safety and security and faith and joy to know that we are part of something big out there. Uh, that we gather in a school hall like this and throughout the week in our homes, but that we are family with people from around the world. Isn't that just amazing? I'm excited. We've just done a series on Jonah. Uh, last week, Pastor Wolf, he shared an incredible word of what it is to, to go and share this message of hope with others, to go devoted, to go with God through every door that he's given with us, to go with wisdom and to go with clarity. Uh, he shared that word with such clarity. It really, I think, went and, and, and took heart in or place in all of our hearts. And I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear it, if you weren't here, to take a moment to go and listen to that. But this morning, we're starting with a brand new series called Eternity. And we're going to be busy with this for eternity. No, I'm just joking. A couple of weeks for us, uh, as long as Jesus leads us, to talk about this very interesting, very challenging um, topic. And... Um, on Friday night, we did something of eternal value. All the dads who's got little daughters came for a dad's and daughter disco out in the aftercare center. And this morning when I got out of bed, I realized my back will never be the same again. And I realized I did something of eternal value. <laughs> we were dancing like this for most of the night. So all the dads with sore backs, anyone out there like me, is it just me? Well, I feel a little bit better. We're going to talk about the forever, the unending the life you're after, and the life here. Just this concept of eternity, which is, as we're going to discover this morning, something that God has placed in our hearts. And if we think about God and the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how He created us, and how He exists outside of time, it kind of breaks our brains, right? As humans, it, is, it feels completely impossible to grasp this concept. And the last thing I want to do is for you guys to feel that over the next five weeks, we're going to get all the answers. I think it is impossible in a lifetime to exhaust the concept of eternity. But it's such a necessary conversation to have. To say for us as, as followers of Jesus, and maybe you here this morning and, and you, you don't count yourself as part of that group. How do we think about this concept of the existence of life forever? which is quite a big and brain-breaking concept. So I want to start this morning with a story about a man called Arthur Stace. Arthur Stace was born in 1885 in Australia, and he's known as Mr. Eternity. Uh, he grew up very broken, in very broken circumstances. Both his mom and dad were um, heavily addicted alcoholics. He recalls in his younger age, in his younger years, how they would sit around the dinner table and not eat, but his mom and dad would cry that they don't have something to drink. So that's how he grew up. And then both his sisters were running brothels and they were into prostitution. And he lived in this completely broken world. And then in 1916, he signed up to go and serve in the wars of that age. And he got into war and he had to be sent back from where he served because he lost his eyesight and his one eye due to a gas explosion. 
And this guy came back and he lived on the streets. He said that his alcoholism started taking root in his life, started with beer, went to wine, something stronger, it went to spirits, and eventually he was so poor that the only thing he could get his hands on were methylated spirits, and that's what he drank to just try and exist. Completely broken, he stole a whole lot of things, uh, he was meant to be in prison, but then something extraordinary happened. In 1930, there was an invitation to a church for those on the street to come and eat something. And he went for the food. But what he experienced that, li- that night was receiving the bread of life. And he accepted Jesus. And he shares the story of how he felt his complete being changed forever. How the desire after alcohol was left in that moment, in that church building. And he started walking with Jesus. And in 1932, he attended a sermon by John G. Ridley, who spoke about eternity. And these were the words that struck him to his heart. It says, eternity, eternity. I wish that I could sound out or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. And here is Arthur's, Arthur hearing this message of eternity and something happened in his heart. And for the next 30 years, he lived on the streets and in his own handwriting with chalk, he wrote the word eternity all across the city of Sydney. So much so that it became a phenomenon. People like, where does this word come from? Who's writing this? Who's doing this whole thing? Wherever he had an opportunity, and he said his hand was, was unstable because of his years of alcoholism, he had to keep his hand steady in his own handwriting. And similar to that design at the bottom, that's exactly his handwriting. He wrote it close to half a million times in the city of Sydney. And I, I, you know what's amazing about the stories? It gets better. At the millennium, New Year's Eve, where the whole world was thinking, everything is gonna end, everything is gonna stop. The people of Sydney, on the Sydney Bridge, put that sign right up there for the whole world to see. Eternity. And a couple of months later, at the Olympics, it was seen by over two billion people around the world watching it on television. Here's John G. Ridley with a simple request. I wish I can shout it only to the people of Sydney, but there's a God that says, I'm gonna shout this to the world. And every human being, when they see those words, come to a place of having to make a decision. Am I gonna look the other way and not consider it? But in our human hearts, because the Bible teaches in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 that God has planted eternity in the human heart. Every time we hear those words and see those words, whether we followers of Jesus or not, something in our hearts happens that confronts us because it's in our human being, it's in our DNA and how God created us. We were made in his likeness and he's placed eternity inside of us. What an amazing story of the witness of God around the world. A sinner now saved, who said that I've got one purpose on this earth. I'm gonna be very clear about my message of Jesus in me. And I'm gonna share the word of eternity with the world. So I wanna pray for us with that as a backdrop for this series, that our hearts would be open, as we are confronted by the word of God on this very topic, that our hearts would really be encouraged to lean towards him and his understanding because he is the author of it. 
He's the one who keeps it in his hands and he's the one who places it in our hearts. And who better to trust than that in a series like this where we talk about the essence of eternity. So why don't you pray with me as we cry out to God this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are at a loss of words at times when we consider you. And in our humanness, our mortality, our limit, limited understanding, Father, we don't always have the words or the ability to grasp. Lord, but I thank you for this word, your words in Ecclesiastes that say that you've placed eternity in our hearts. Lord, and we cry out to you as a house, Lord, as people here, that you will speak to us clearly this morning and throughout this, this series. That it wouldn't be the, the words of men, but that the word of God would shine. And that each one of us will come into that place where we are confronted with this word, like the whole world and every human heart is confronted with it. Thank you, Jesus, for clarity in understanding how we should respond. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint every word that we preach on this topic over the next few weeks, that it would not be the ideas of man, but it would be the truth of your word, Father, together with the work of your spirit in our lives. And the people of God say, amen. My hope is that, as Wolfie said last week, we'll become clear on our message. And I, I really sense that for many of us, we're not clear on this concept. Even some of us who's been, been followers of Jesus for a very long time are not sure how to think about this. So I pray that over the next few weeks, we'd be able to give you tools and practical thoughts on how to think about this word eternity and for you to share it with the world. I really think that the greatest human struggle, the biggest fight in our human hearts is the fight for a consciousness of eternity. It's placed in our hearts by God, yet we live in a world where the demands of the world takes our time and our effort and our thoughts constantly all the time. We constantly have to think about the next meeting, the next conversation, the next month's budget, the next meal that we're going to eat, right? That's just the world we live in. And there's a fight in our hearts to actually stop and consider eternity because we are already in it and it is around us. And it's placed by God in our hearts. So for the next minute, I want to encourage you to try and wrap your head around this concept. Think for a minute about the everlasting. Try and think just in quiet silence while, while I prepare the canvas this morning for us. What eternity is like. On this canvas, I've got a piece of red paint. And this represents our life on earth. And I'm going to extend this, this row of paint for a couple of lines with blue paint into eternity. And that represents the life hereafter. And everything we do in our 80 or 90, if we're blessed years on earth, determines all the rest. Yet in our heart, in our human hearts, there's this struggle where we focus so much on this that we completely don't give enough attention to what is to come after this. So for the next minute, while I prepare the canvas, why don't you try and think about this word eternity and imagine how long eternity is. It's a little challenge. Okay, if any of you get it right, please come and take the mic. But think about it for a minute this morning.
That is the image that I want us to keep ahead of us when you think about eternity. That there's little life here on earth, but that very limited time determines all the rest and what it looks like after this. We're gonna put this canvas up over the next few weeks for us to really think about it. If I take a ballpoint pen and I go to the side of this wall and I make a little dot on it, just like this, I just touch the side of the wall and then I start drawing a line around this venue and I maybe do it 50 times because I'm not that fit, I won't last much longer. And I hand it over to Gideon, which is much fitter. Uh, We can see it on his Instagram account when he's in gym. It's a little joke. (laughs) And I say, Gideon, why don't you keep running for a hundred more laps? And after he's done, we, we hand it over to some of you and we, we're here for the day and we keep drawing lines across this venue. That ballpoint touch on the wall is your existence on earth and those lines is eternity. And we have to live in a way we, we, we think about it like that where we consider everything in life through that lens. I think most of us live a little bit more like this where it's all the things on earth, where we stop and think, yes, next thing, next year, next goal, next idea, next meeting, next meal. And you know what? I'll get to the place in my life where I'll pause and think about the long-term existence of what God has created us for. We need to understand that in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. Yes, some part of that I believe is a physical representation but it's mostly spiritual. God's intent in the beginning was to make man and mankind to be in relationship with him. And he placed us in the garden where there was no sin and we would have existed with him in that place forever. And we know the story is that sin entered in and it removed us from that place of being with God constantly in eternity. So much so that later on, a couple of chapters later in Genesis 6, God puts a hold on the human lives, human years on earth. And he said, humans will only be 120 years old. So from the very beginning, when he created human, he made us with eternity upon us. Yet we live with such a restricted view in this world that we don't think about it. And sadly, there are many that live like this, where there's no consideration, next slide, of eternity whatsoever where life just happens and it stops. No stopping, maybe just for a minute like we did this morning and thinking about this concept. The greatest tragedy in the world, tragedy in the world, is not the earthquakes and the tsunamis and the hunger and the poverty and the sickness. The greatest tragedy in the world is a life lived like that where there has not been a consideration on the way I live today and what it looks like into eternity. So this morning, I wanna start on a personal note because your eternal destiny hinges completely on your response to Jesus Christ. And if you understand this, and I really believe that some of us might say, Pierre, that's elementary. I've been coming to church, I've been serving Jesus, I'm volunteering I really feel that this is a refreshing for us and our reminder. Because it's not just coming to the cross and the forgiveness of sins, it's the walking with Jesus after that. And we have to live a life devoted to him throughout our daily existence. So I believe this is a message exactly for us as a church, exactly for those of us who's been 
with Jesus for a long time because we'll discover through this series that when he returns, he's going to say to many who believe that they are followers of Christ and they've did a lot of Christian things that I did not know yet. So I want you for a moment, for the next 20 minutes, to only just be there, think about this for you and the implication. We'll get over the weeks to what it means for the world out there. But you and Jesus, your eternal destiny hinges completely on your response to Jesus this morning. He says in Revelation 1 verse 17 to 18, when John has this vision of heaven and the Lamb slain, Jesus speaks to him and he says, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus says it there and he, we threw out the word and I don't wanna get into apologetics but all the prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to this Messiah and he comes and he fulfills all of them, hundreds of them and it's written in the historical books of the world outside of Christianity that there was a man called Jesus of Nazareth who did die and was resurrected into natural. The world knows it out there and he says, I hold the keys of eternity. I existed outside of this all along. So we need to think, how do we respond to Jesus this morning? So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter three as we study one of the most known scriptures to the church world today and hopefully with new eyes and a new understanding as he leads us through his word this morning. It'll be up on the screen. You can follow there if you'd like to. I'm reading from the ESV translation. We all know this first part. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is such a clear understanding and message on eternity. And you know what I love about this? is that the one motivation is love. The only motivation, according to the scripture we see here this morning, it's not condemnation, it's not judgment, it's not for God to feel afar from us. It is out of a position of deep love that the Father has for humankind that he has sent Jesus to this earth. And the enemy has been incredible ever since to make the human heart think that the motives of God is anything but love. To make the human God think that the motive of God is shame and guilt. The motive of God is to say, you, you sinner, you filth, get out of my sight. That's what the enemy has presented to us 
and to the world out there. But the only motivation of the entire word of God, the only motivation in the beginning where he made us and created us and put eternity in our hearts is that of love. And yet, again, it's a concept that's watered down and we're familiar with because the world talks about love all the time. And that's the challenge with our English language, right? We just say the word love, but when you study it in the word of God, you realize that there's four different definitions for the word love. I'm going to quickly mention them to you. There's the first kind of love that everyone loves to sing about in the world out there. It's eros, which talks about the physical and sexual love between man and woman. Then the second kind of love that we find in the word is called philia, which talks about the love that we have as friends for one another. Then there's a third kind of love, storge, which means the kind of love that you have as a family, a parent to a child, a brother to a sister, But then when it speaks about the love of God, it speaks about agape. You guys have heard that word before? So every time we speak about the love of God, it's not the same love that we think exists out there in the world. And it's limited our view. And agape is a love that is selfless, a love that is immeasurable. It is limitless. It's incomparable, just like eternity. It is perfect. It is pure. It is sacrificial. It is everything but the world out there. That's the love and the motivation that Christ has sent his son. And it breaks my heart to think that there are people who's going to exist in the red line of their life and never have an encounter with real agape, godly kind of love. Because it's at that point where you choose your response to Jesus. It's not at the point before where you hear all the judgments and opinions. It's at that point when you have a true encounter with agape love, where your response to Jesus would either be, I'm going to live in the light, or I'm going to remain in the darkness. So let us be clear when we speak about eternity, that God's motivation is love. And if you're here this morning, and you've got a different view of God because it's been misrepresented to you, that he doesn't delight in you, or he doesn't like who you are, or what you look like, or what you've become. I pray that by His Spirit, you would start seeing how He sees you. This morning during pre-service prayer, God gave me a vision of a woman getting ready to see herself in the mirror. But before she does that, she takes a moment to put on foundation on her skin, because there are blemishes on her skin. And once she was ready After doing that, she looked into the mirror and she could look herself in the eyes. And I feel it's a representation of the bride and each one of us, the bride of Christ, but individually before Christ. We want to fix our blemishes before we come and look him into the eyes. We want to try and represent a certain level of perfection before we say, Jesus, I'm ready to look you in the face. Where if we really had the opportunity this morning in the physical to see him in his face, he would wipe off that foundation and say, I love you with your blemishes. Come just the way you are because my heart is motivated by, but by nothing but love for you. And it's perfect and pure and immeasurable. So don't try and cover up before you come to me. Some of us have been covering up because we didn't know that the motivation of Jesus is love. We think it's judgment and condemnation. And therefore, it's so important to look at the scripture again. If the motivation is love, what's the goal? The goal is that we'll be eternally alive 
and not eternally lost. Each one of us will exist for eternity. And the scripture says that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whomsoever believes in him will not perish. That word perish means to be lost or spoiled. But whoever believes in him will live eternally. And that word living is the Zoe kind of life, the God kind of life. Yes, we all live. And when it's a great weekend away and we have a great time, we think, man, it's good to be alive, right? Or if something happens in your world that you, it's, it's a great measure of success, you feel alive, right? That is incomparable to the Zoe living that God has for us. So when we read John 3 verse 16, his goal is that each one of us would be eternally alive in the God kind of life that he has for us, which is filled with wonder and blessing and breakthrough and victory. And as Anthony said this morning, freedom for whoever Christ has set freed will be free indeed. The opposite is where people are eternally lost. And I know this is a word again that we use quite easily. And lostness isn't uh, something that it's just lost and you need to look for it. It's the separation and the perishing and the falling away from the living, alive livingness that we have in God. And that's the goal. The motivation is love. And the goal is, according to Jesus, that no one should perish, that no one should be lost in light of eternity. The method, and I love this part, is salvation, not condemnation. And we can talk about this for hours. Even myself grew up in an environment where condemnation was at the front door of most of the church meetings that I attended. And I'm not dissing my history because in that God taught me so much. But the Bible says that God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it. And to the, the, the non-Christian, the non-believer out there, it's represented that Christ is come to condemn you. Where Christ has only come to save you. His motivation is love. His goal is for you to be eternally alive to the God kind of life that he has for you. And he came to save you from the lostness in which your life is going. It's the simplest message, right? For us as the church. Yet if you think about your diet... We, we say, you know what, I should kind of hide away from sugar. Shouldn't eat sugar, right? That's me. Byron gave me a whole box of chocolates. Um, I'm very scared what's going to happen in the car on the way back home afterwards. And we just talk about sugar in, in the form of sh- chocolate or however we see sugar. But you've got to break it down to understand sugar. You've got to get to a place where you like, what's the, the chemical balance of sugar and and why at that bottom does it affect your body the way it does and sometimes in our christian walk we want to eat the chocolate the whole time yet we stop to reconsider the very basic foundational message that christ didn't come to this world to condemn he simply came to save and if we understand that and respond to that we respond to an eternity decision that's going to set us up for the rest of our lives and again you might be in a place where you've only heard the condemnation. This morning here, Jesus' words of salvation, knocking at your doors and say, you know what? I've come to save. I've come to take you with 
your blemishes. Don't put up the cover-up. Come as you are. That's what I love and that's what I created in my likeness. And that's what I'm accepting. And this scripture then continues. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who loves wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The last step in this process, motivation is love. The goal is to be eternally alive in God. The method is one of salvation. And then we get into the picture when it speaks about judgment. There's a decision to make whether we're gonna take light and truth and live according to light and truth or whether we're gonna take darkness and evil and live according to darkness and evil. And based on that decision, we're gonna exist for eternity. That's why I said every single human life and the destiny of eternity that we're facing hinges on how we respond to Jesus. He came with love, with salvation, to set us in light, but we've got a choice to make. And based on that choice, the judgment will come. There's a difference between the concept of condemnation and judgment. And this is where we get into play. And then I wanna link this to the last very important thing, which again, I believe we've lost the essence of understanding the word. It says, whomsoever believes. It's not just a matter of walking through life and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he exists. There's a scripture in the Bible that talks about if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And I think I shared this briefly with you a couple of weeks ago, that that confession in context of where it was written is was in the Roman environment of the Roman government where people had to walk around and say, Kyrios Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians had to physically make a decision a life or death decision to say, Kyrios, Christ. And every time they confessed loudly with their mouths, they confessed Jesus. So it's not a matter of just believing in Jesus and say, yeah, I believe in him, and you walk your life. It needs to be a deep-seated understanding that you're 80 years or 90 years, if God will, or maybe longer on earth, and everything you do and say is founded in a belief of God, And if we study that word believe in John chapter 3, it says to entrust your spiritual well-being to Christ. It's not a cognitive just, I believe there's a God. It's an entrusting. The word entrust means to completely relinquish control and say, That's what the word believes mean. So whomsoever relinquish control of their own life and entrusted to Jesus will be saved. And I want to end again with that image of the red and the blue. And as I said, today is a personal message. This challenged me deeply this week. Very deeply. Christ, have I completely completely relinquished control. Because if I say I believe in you, it means that 
I've entrusted every single part of my life. I want to share a story that happened to me this week. Tuesday morning, I woke up with a desire to pray for someone. Don't know this person. I'm not going to share all the details. But um, this person on the other side is in a position to make a decision that will impact, and I'm going to be a little bit transparent here for a minute, going to impact Helena on my budget for next year, personal budget. But the morning I woke up and I had it on my heart to pray for this individual. And I said, God, you know what? I'm, I'm praying for an opportunity to do this. Please help me. I, I, I don't know when or how, but I trust you. And that was it. I kind of left it. Two hours later, his secretary called me and said, he wants to have a meeting with you. So here I am expecting the worst in the meeting. And immediately anxiety crept into my heart because I guess God prepared me for what was coming, the truth of the meeting. And I had a decision to make in that moment. Am I now going to function in the natural and get scared and go into that meeting thinking about the challenges that's ahead of me and the consequence of the meeting? Or am I going to respond out of an eternity view that God has placed this individual on my heart and I might just have something that he needs this morning? And I made that decision. I said, God, I'm going to entrust, believe you, Jesus. I'm going to relinquish control. And I stepped into his office and we sat down and we met for the first time. And I just simply asked, how are you doing? And he just opened his heart. And he started speaking about his wife, which is still in another town that recently moved here and how challenging it is for him and his wife at this moment. And then he said, you know, please pray for me. And I said, let's pray now. And I trusted Jesus just in that room, the two of us. I said, God, you want to encourage this man this morning and prayed with him and God gave me a prophetic word and I shared the word with him and when I looked at him, there were tears in his eyes. He said, Pierre, you know what? Someone gave me that exact word the day I left my previous residence and moved here. And I've been saying, God, you know what? This doesn't make sense to me yet. But now you've confirmed what was said. And we had some time talking about Jesus and he gave me the letter which had the news in that in natural terms, I didn't want to hear. But I left there with a sense of victory for the kingdom, with a sense of saying, Jesus, yes, my life is completely handed over to you. I've done this. It's not in my hands anymore. So this morning, I want you to see that image. And I want you to consider again your response to Jesus. When you say you believe in Jesus, have you said, Jesus, I relinquish control. I entrust my life fully to you. Because that decision is going to reflect all the lines that we could have drawn around this venue this morning with a ballpoint pen. Let's take a minute to think about this. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll speak to every heart this morning. I pray, Lord, if there's one thing that we leave with today is that your banner over us is love, that you've come and you've made a way not to condemn, but to save and to give us life eternally, the God kind of life that no one can take away. I pray now, Jesus, that you would stop at every heart, that we would respond afresh and anew. Lord, we think about the story of Arthur. 
whose life was radically changed in a minute. And just because of that, he's impacted billions around the world. Lord, what is yet ahead of us would totally give over to you. The amazing things we could do for you and for others in this world. And I pray, Jesus, that you will speak to our hearts. Thank you for that.